Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 60. This week, we talk with James Montemagno about all things Xamarin, the importance of coding buddies, and why are Google, Microsoft, and Mozilla working together? This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. Hey, Carl, what do you think of this weather we're getting? It's a little warm for my taste here. Oh, really? It's finally, finally good. Uh, luckily, I was in, uh, I was in Seattle for two weeks, and it, it is just, it is just amazing out there. Although it's probably getting a little hot, isn't it, James? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit warm. I mean, I definitely have my blinds down uh, just a little bit, but I still like that sunlight coming in because we don't get it all that often. But yeah, it's lovely. The blinds, it's aka lovely. Seattle air conditioning. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, I open in my in my apartment. Uh, we our units are don't have air conditioning, but the hallway does. So when you walk down the hallway, just everyone's door is open. So you can peer into everyone's lives. It's pretty nice. Oh, that's hilarious. So it's like a college dorm. It basically is. Yeah. (laughs) Except for way overpriced. Yeah. Yeah. So that voice that you're hearing. So that's James Montemagno. He's a developer evangelist at Xamarin and a Microsoft MVP. He's been a .NET developer for over a decade, working in a wide range of industries. And before joining Xamarin, he was a professional mobile developer. And he's been creating apps on the Xamarin platform for over four years. Welcome, James. Oh, thank you so much for having me too. It's a pleasure and an honor on this side of the microphone to be on the MS Dev Show. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been wanting to get you on well ever since the day I met you, actually. Oh. <laughs> right right when we met, I said you gotta come on the podcast. Met me, fell in love, gave me a sticker. Yeah. It's the story of my current relationship. That's how it goes. Actually. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. So let's get some of this stuff out of the way here. So first we have listener feedback. So what do we got, Carl? Uh, the first one is our winner this week for the Infragistics Ooh. Ultimate License. And uh, it's a Twitter comment from Eric J. Fiore. And he said, I love the episode of MS Dev Show with Sarah Itini as her obvious enthusiasm for her work is inspirational. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, she did. She was just awesome on the show. So if she ever switches projects or has a new version, we could definitely have to have her on again. So, yeah, he's the winner of the Infragistics Ultimate License, which is a pretty awesome deal. Yep. And 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 a runner up. Which you get nothing for, but you get <laughs> congratulations. But you get it right on the show. Uh, Glenn Smith on Twitter also said he was so pumped after listening to the MS Dev Show hardware and software we use, which was last episode, that he ordered a scan snap and he's taking his world paperless. That's awesome. So he spent four hundred bucks because of my recommendation. That's pretty cool. After the last episode, uh, I actually went and turned off my home server. I said, "Time to save some money." <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so if you want to get mentioned on the show, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on our Facebook page, iTunes. We definitely love those iTunes reviews. That really helps spread the word about the show. Okay, so let's jump into the news. What do we got, Carl? So we got internet connectivity in sub-Saharan Africa. Is that where you're at right now? No, but it, it, <laughs> it's a place that a lot of a lot of times I think uh, developers forget about. There is a large amount of uh, people, whether you're talking about mobile apps or web, that th- they happen to live in Africa. And... Uh, they have a unique set of, you know, circumstances that we don't think about. Um, how they get their internet is different. Um, the circumstances are different and how much it costs are. And when you realize that, you might be uh, uh, taking uh, the design of your applications a little bit differently. Um, first and foremost, the latency is different. Um, you know, they don't have the same peering agreement. So the latency is going to be way higher for Africa, even though there are some places starting to put CDNs and data centers there, it's still few and far between. Um, and when they can get ban- bandwidth, they said sometimes it varies between 35 cents and $200 a megabit, according <laughs> to this article, which 
that just sounds painful. So yeah, because Africa is just, it's just gigantic. I don't know if you've ever seen that map where it shows like, you know, the whole, the whole United States is like a, is just a, a tiny fraction of it. And then they fit all these other countries in there as well, or even continents like Australia. Um, I don't know what else they fit in there, but it's just absurd how, how big of a landmass that is. Yeah. So check out the show notes for this article. And, you know, the big thing I want to just bring awareness to is, you know, you might have customers there. Look at your analytics, uh, look at um, whatever stats that you have to see if you do have users there, or maybe go out of your way and try to uh, reach out to that audience. There's a ton of people there and there's no reason why they can't have uh, first class experiences as well. Yeah. As well as everybody else who has a high uh, latency connection. Okay, what do we got here? WebAssembly, Google, Microsoft, and Mozilla, and others team up to launch WebAssembly, a new binary format for the web. So who, whoever would have thought all these companies could work together and do this? This is pretty cool. People are excited about this. So a, a little bit of background. This is more of a question for you, Jason, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm as familiar with this article as you are, but this is actually bringing like actual, like compiled binaries to the web, correct? Yeah, so that's, you know, it's funny because I read about five articles on this because that's what I was trying to understand because it's focusing on C and C++. So you're actually, you know, have a compiled assembly that gets that ends up getting pulled down. Um, it says that it's still sandboxed, but I don't really understand if you're interacting with the DOM. I mean, you must be interacting with the DOM still. James, have you seen anything about this? I don't know how much web I development you do. I don't do too, too much, but I mean, I have a lot of web devs. Yeah. I was trying to figure this out too. I mean, the, the main focus seems to be on C, C++, which is, Interesting, like, is it, and it's going to... It's a weird combination inside with the, the JavaScript. Yeah, it's going to, like, execute inside the JavaScript so, engine, which means that you'd have to upgrade all the browser JavaScript engines to then be able to, you know, execute that code, right. which is... So, for, from my understanding, um, I listened to a, a friend of ours, Rob Irving. He has C++ cast. Oh, yeah, he's the guy to talk to. Yeah, he they briefly touched on this in their last episode, and I, I this stems from the uh, ASM.js project. Um, what it sounds like is they just couldn't get fast enough. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to push this getting, you know, you know, actual compiled C and C++ into the browser. So at least that's my understanding from this. Granted, I'm not as close to this as some people are, but if yeah. that's the case, I mean, you can run, you know, just, you know, native compiled code way faster than anything yeah. else. So. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a web developer, definitely check this out. Cause I, this is really early days, but this is something to watch for sure. Because everyone loves writing C, C++ code. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm yeah, just, everyone loves managing memory. I'm, tr- I'm trying to imagine what like C against the DOM would look like. <laughs> yeah, I don't quite understand it. But they said it's 23 times faster. Yeah. I mean. Which is, which is something. very motivational. Yeah, I like that. I like faster web. Sure. Yeah. Faster is always better, right? Yep. Uh, okay, so early versus beginning coders. You want to talk about this one, Carl? Yeah, I just. Love this article. I, I, I Love thought, this article. I thought this was great because. I, the the big thing is like if you pick up a quote beginner's book mm-hmm. on just about anything in our field in, in software, it, they're they're not assuming you're an absolute beginner who knows nothing. What they what they really mean is you have some background somewhere, some way, some form, and you, we've really been misusing this term. And there are beginners out there that really do need some beginning things, but our our merging of these terms is been kind of hurtful for getting people up to speed. Um, what, what were your thoughts there, James, on this article? Well, this is so intriguing to me because, you know, I speak often, I speak like a hundred some odd times a year and you guys mm-hmm. speak all the time too. And, you know, I was actually, I go to a lot of code camps and, and a lot of times code camps, it's, it's people's very first time actually experimenting with code and like learning a language. But even before that, I try to look even earlier. I mean, I learned C++ in high school and I was at a hackathon 
It was actually an Office 365 and Azure hackathon in Chicago a few months ago. And there was some uh, high school students there. You know, they didn't know anything about coding. They never had any hands-on. They knew that they wanted to create some type of application for web or mobile. And I tried to sit down and I tried to be like, here's C-sharp, here's why I love it. And here's like, here's an integer, here's a string, here's a class. And it was hard for me because I've been doing it for so long to put myself in that I've never seen a programming language ever before in my life. What, is, what are these concepts? And they were asking just amazing questions that like, you know, are almost automatic with us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there is a huge gap now that just trying to get in. And in this article, it says, you know, when was the, what were you doing when you were first writing code? It wasn't that you were opening up uh, an IDE and typing some code. Like you were probably in a book and typing your hello world and kind of understanding the flow. And me trying to think back now, I'm 29 on Thursday. So I guess now. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Plugging myself, you know, 14, 15 years ago now, trying to attempt to think like, how did I first start programming? And then trying to put myself in, in, in these kids shoes. I really, it was hard for me to do. So I think that's kind of the problem we have when we're, we're writing books or trying to write tutorials is even when I'm writing Xamarin tutorials on iOS and Android, I'm almost in that thing is like, I kind of assume you kind of know a little bit, but um, it's really hard. I, I don't know how to even change my mentality to, to, to step one time at, at a, you know, one thing at a time, I guess. Yeah. Thinking back to college. So I distinctly remember when when the teacher was talking about exceptions, like I didn't get that. I, I remember and everybody in the class was completely confused, just just exception handling in general. I'm like, why don't you just handle these different cases? And we were all just baffled by it. And then the other the other instance was talking about the this keyword. And of course, the teacher explained it. And we're like, what? And we were all asking it like, do you know, do you get what this is? And they're like, no, I don't really get it. <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's like that basic stuff. It seems so trivial to us now. But that stuff, you know, it can be really hard to, to understand those things because they don't they're not, they don't really line up with things in the real world. Any other comments on this article? OK, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. What do we got next here? Undocking parts of Team Explorer and Visual Studio. So do you use Team Explorer, Carl? Yes. And, and that's kind of how I found this is I, okay. I saw this article and the only reason why I saw it or, you know, I've been using it. So I took a look at it and this, you know, kind of got to a problem of mine. If you use uh, TFS Team Explorer there's like a whole bunch of things that are kind of grouped into that one tab and they don't really, you know, they collapse as an entire group. So normally you have like solution explorer and properties on the side and then you have team explorer. And so you have to dig in, you know, a little bit to get to it. But uh, this article explains how you can undock each of those, you know, sub uh, items in there. Most notably for me, you know, it's a source control explorer and the pending changes. So you can undock those and have them sit alongside just like they're, uh, you know, additional tabs like the solution explorer and the properties. Cool. Cause I found that thing confusing at times. Cause it has sort of like tabs that don't look like tabs and <laughs> there's some context. So this actually, this is pretty cool. Yep. Okay, and I've been tip. using it all the time. Check it out. Okay. The importance of coding buddies and other advice for programmers. This was a cool uh, article. And actually I think the, the most important thing for me, this had a link to uh, Jeff Atwood's um, AMA or ask me anything on Reddit. And it was fun just reading through that. Um, because he's always really good at at articulating, um, you know, things that I've thought about in the past or or things that I've run into. So what what did you get out of this, Carl? Well, first and foremost, the the things that they pulled out, the big things, I mm-hmm. absolutely agree with. But I think the one thing that you know was kind of the turning point in in my career was aim to be the dumbest person in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point where I, you know, I had a, a lot of. I hubris. could make a joke, but I'm not going to. It, yeah. <laughs> 
I had a lot of hubris and I try, you know, I aim to be the smartest and, you know, a lot of times I was by default, but I, once I kind of, you know, flipped my perspective and realized that everybody has something to teach you, yep. I, I began learning left and right way more than I was beforehand. Yeah. If you, if you are the smartest person in the room, you're supposed to find another room. Yeah. My, uh, my instructors in college always told me, you know, like, Hey, you want to do be a software engineer? I was like, absolutely. Like, do you like learning? I love learning. They're like, you will never stop learning. Mm-hmm. So putting yourself in kind of being the dumbest person in the room. Um, I mean, I get to sit around, you know, people that blow my mind as Amber every day. When yeah. I, when I go to the Microsoft campus, like there's things that like are way beyond me, but you're just taking these and you're feeding it in. Um, and I really like when I worked at Canon early on, in my career as a junior developer, I was just learning so much from these guys that had guys and girls that have been doing this for 10 years and just like super low level integration and C, C plus plus. And then this crazy stuff we were doing in .NET. I mean, you take that in and that's just like rapidly accelerated and you take a lot of those learning principles into other aspects. I mean, even I was writing enterprise level printer software early on in my career and just learning all this high level architecture of, of interfaces and databases and how everything is coming together. And that all applies going forward too. And it's crazy. Like now in mobile, just like seeing all that still apply. So you always want to learn all this stuff. I mean, it is great. And, and like, I've learned so much by paired programming. Like to me, that's how I like just have fun doing stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, having a buddy to code with is like super, super system. Yeah. And know, it helps avoid awesome. uh, knowledge gaps too. You know, when I was, when I was uh, sitting near you, when I was out in uh, Redmond that one week, we were working on some stuff and, and I, I kept running into the, you know, knowledge gaps in Xamarin and I'd ask you and you knew them right off the top of your head. And I was able to go 10 times quicker because those would have been times that I'd have to stop. You know how it is like all of a sudden the, the, the clock has like ticked an hour away and you're sitting there like, you know, knee deep in stack overflow and, and different searches. <laughs> so Having having somebody to lean on like that is 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 incredible, and having different yeah. strengths to to lean on. Yeah, I tell you know I'm I really focus on like Android development, like that's my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. But I do everything. But like there's there's um, coworkers that just are mind blowing at iOS. I mean, especially when I see Miguel do anything, it's like the most revolutionary thing ever. But I try to just I always just ask somebody, you know, like do your due diligence first. But like if someone's there, like take advantage of that and soak it all in. I mean, it's great. And that's why I always tell everyone like when I'm up for saying like. I am here for you. Ask me anything at mm-hmm. any time. Like here's my, my Twitter, personal email. Here's my phone number. If you want to call me hack, you know, just like, just lean on me. Cause that's what I'm here for. Um, you know, and, and I love, I love being that buddy and I love having buddies to help out too. So. Cool. Okay. Visual studio web development tip, add Chrome incognito mode as a browser. This is an awesome tip, Carl. Yes. Uh, Scott Hanselman recently, uh, blogged about this and, uh, in visual studio, it'll pick up on your installed browsers. Well, you can add, Chrome incognito mode in there and the instructions will be in here. And it's just amazing. You know, a lot of times we have additional plugins that might get in the way. Um, We're just isolating, you know, cookies, you know, you might have cookies that are interfering with the login process or something. Yep. Uh, I mean, until I found this at, you know, I had accidentally, you know, or somehow gotten to last pass uh, some, a bunch of passwords for localhost. And as I was debugging through an application, I kept trying to log in with like for something else. And it was really annoying. And this is just a nice, easy way to get all that stuff out of the way, no matter what it is, whether it's an extension, like you said, cookies, anything else, it'll open a nice, fresh instance unaware of the world. And you can even do that with Internet Explorer, too. You can add uh, private mode on there as well. So uh, whether it's Google Chrome or Internet Explorer, um, you can add those options. So when you uh, hit F5 from Visual Studio, it'll open up that browser in that mode. 
Yeah, what I thought was interesting is his, his final question here. He goes, question for you dear readers, is, is this the feature that you want by default? Would you just uh, not want every browser added, but do you also want the private mode? So he's actually seeking feedback during this article too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for me, I, of course I want all that stuff yeah, there. Definitely. I mean, if I can just, yeah, I would say do it if you can. Yep, I agree. Okay, two more here. So is Windows 10 free for Insider? So you'll have to help me with this too, Carl. I, I think I, I think I have this straight now because there was basically, there was a blog post on the, the Windows blogs that um, made it seem like insiders could get Windows 10 for free. And then there was uh, a lot of news stories around that. And now there was a follow-up to that. And basically what I'm seeing, you'll have to tell me if this is correct. It basically is free if you want to continue to be in the Windows Insider program, but you're going to be always on the bleeding edge. Do I have that correct? So th- there's really, if, if you're an insider, there's two ways you can go. You can continue what you're doing and always be an insider. All right. Um, to do that, you you need to just make sure you're on the current one now and that you're signing in with a Microsoft account, not some local account. If you do that, you'll always be an insider. But let's just say you were an insider up to now and you just want Windows 10 when it comes out. You're going to actually have to roll back, get out of Windows, uh, the insider program um, before uh the data goes live. And then when it does go live, um, they'll have a, a key reserved for you uh, tied to your Microsoft account when you do decide to upgrade. So Windows, Windows insiders will get that for free. As will anybody else who has a legal copy of Windows that they just want to upgrade that's uh, seven or higher right now. Okay, cool. That's clarified. Um, SSD prices, they are in a free fall. I really don't want to dive into this one too much, but SSDs are incredible. Everybody listening to the show should absolutely have one. And the prices are just, they're plummeting and they're getting bigger. So it sounds like, um, the, the price per gigabyte is going to start matching spinning, spinning rust. And it sounds like the the drives are going to get a lot bigger. So that's the way technology works. And that's awesome. <laughs> so that's all I want to say about that one. Uh, cause I I'm like, 20 terabyte SSDs for like, Oh, I know. I know. That's the future I want. Yeah. I don't, Give it to me. I, you know, and it, it, I don't know why Apple went, they do like this, uh, what do they call it? Like the hybrid discs or what? I don't know if they have some special Apple name or something, but, um, I, I don't know why they did that. I think that was, that was so cheap of them to, to do that. It should just be SSD all the way. Okay. I have been wanting to talk to James, so let's talk to him. <laughs> so James, you came on here to talk about Xamarin and, uh, Carl and I actually have, we have quite a bit of history with Xamarin. Did you work on the, Carl, did you work on the um, Xamarin app we had at our last company? Um, the no, I, we had an iPad app and a, an iPhone, or well, actually I guess it was mostly just iPad. No, I worked on the other product. Okay, okay. Darn, but we we had used it uh, a few years ago, which was pretty cool. So I guess let's let's fill in the the listeners. You know, I'm sure we have some that, that haven't heard about xamarin at all or if they've heard the name but they have no idea how it does its magic so james can you just give us a background on what is xamarin that's a good question uh, it's fully loaded i would say <laughs> when people say what is xamarin yeah well xamarin's a company um uh, xamarin's a company we've been around for a long long time uh now actually we're coming up on our we just hit four four years officially as xamarin as a company but the xamarin technology has been along for a long time with mono which is the mm-hmm. original open source implementation of .NET. So there's a lot of different aspects of Xamarin now. And like what usually people hear about with Xamarin is the Xamarin platform. And in the Xamarin platform, it, it's enabling C-sharp, uh, F-sharp, and .NET developers to create not native iOS, Android, Mac, and Windows applications, all in Visual Studio, uh, all in C-sharp with 100% API access to build fully native applications. 
Uh, and we have support for Visual Studio, like I just mentioned, all the way up to 2012, 2013, and 2015. Uh, but we also have our own IDE, Xamarin Studio, which runs on Mac and PC. So even if you don't have a PC or you're just a Mac person, we have an IDE for you to, to build native iOS, Android, Mac, and Windows apps. Uh, so that's like the key platform. And then we have an entire testing product that we'll probably go into a little bit later mm -hmm. with Test Cloud. We have a crash and analytics uh, with uh, the Xamarin uh, Insights and also a whole training uh, um, curriculum called Xamarin University, which we'll talk about later on, I'm sure, uh, if you guys have questions about that. So there's actually a lot when you look at the, the whole mobile solution that Xamarin has offered there. But it's a unique platform. And what I kind of love about it that differentiates itself from other cross-platform solutions. So I think Xamarin's even the best approach. I've been doing it for four years now. That's why I love it. It's like, it's the best approach for creating a single mobile application just on Android or iOS or the full cross-platform stack. Because I think when you think of mobile applications or any application development, like your iOS app, your Android app, your Windows app, they're all doing the same stuff. They all have models and view models and they're making RESTful service calls or hitting Azure, they're hitting AWS, they're hitting some backend, they're pulling down some data, they're deserializing it, they're shoving it in a list. And if, if you see me on this video, like I'm like, my hands are waving <laughs> in the air because this is what apps are doing, right? They're like all over the place. And then you just have a different user interface um, for each platform. So we let you take all of your C-sharp .NET knowledge and you get access to all that .NET goodness and also like the world of NuGet's available to you as well. So if you want JSON.NET or Azure Mobile Services, you pull those puppies right into your, your project in Visual Studio, build out that sh uh, shared C-sharp backend, which is usually 50 to 70% of your application. And then we give you designers uh, inside of Visual Studio for iOS and Android uh, to build out native user interfaces. But what's really unique, like I said, is that you get 100% API access to the iOS and Android and Mac APIs, and we see Sharpify them too. And we have full C Sharp 6 support. So you're getting everything that's awesome about C Sharp 6, but you're also getting all that C Sharp 5 goodness with like async await, lambdas, link support, delegates. So even, even if like this iOS API like doesn't have async await, because it doesn't, it's only a C Sharp uh, feature, mm -hmm. we, we add that to the actual iOS and Android APIs. So you're writing code and you just do plus equals, here's my Lambda, here's my click handler. Like it's mind blowing because, you know, you're accessing these native APIs on the platform, but all in C Sharp. Yeah, that's that's why we had used it. I mean, we we had to build an iPad app at the time and we looked at Objective-C and we had, you know, we had C Sharp developers and, and we did not want to touch Objective-C. And, and what really blew my mind was things that were missing in Objective-C that you sort of have to hand code or go find those things. Uh, we're just built into C sharp and it just sort of blew my mind that you could, you could take these advanced things in C sharp and they would just work on a platform that, that normally doesn't have them. It's it, that's magic to me. Yeah, it really is when you, when I, I always tell my story, uh, which is, you know, four years ago, I moved, I was living in Phoenix and I moved to, to Seattle to, to start at a startup out in Kirkland and my boss came in and I don't, I'd only ever before my hands in mobile where I went to PDC, the last PDC before there was built. Mm -hmm. Azure was coming out and they gave us all Windows phones. I was super excited. My boss comes in, they hire me for mobile app development. They said, James, you know, we're going to CES in two months and you got to build an iOS, Android, Windows phone and Windows store application to demo. <laughs> and I was like, okay. You know, I was, I was, I was excited because it was my first day on the job. This is first day. Yeah. And I'm walking in two months. I don't know Objective-C. I don't know Java. And I've only ever created one Windows Phone app in my entire life, <laughs> you know. And I mean, sure, like Java, you can just like lowercase a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah, like yeah, it's, it's like close enough that you know. <laughs> yeah, 
But you look at you look at Objective C, and you're like, I have no like, what are these stars and these brackets? Like, what is going mm-hmm. on? It's very confusing. Like, I know I didn't want to use Eclipse. I'd done that in the past, and Xcode, I had no idea. So that's like when I, I stumbled upon Xamarin, and I've been doing C Sharp and .NET development forever, and it just felt natural, I think, to me. Like, yeah, I just have this .NET code, and I just want to run it on this device. Let me do that, and and that's what we let you do with the Mono runtime. So very cool. So. You know, that all sounds pretty magical, you know, like, you know, you said you can, this runs native, but at a high level, how, how does my C-sharp code get native on these different platforms? Sure. So we, it's not like we're magically taking your C-sharp and compiling it down into Objective-C does or Miguel Java. Miguel just like, smash it with his hands? <laughs> you know, I think every time, every time you compile, like Miguel just goes and he has a button that says, and now you're absolutely No, he's, he's rewriting it. He, get, he gets <laughs> he an rewrites email, it he rewrites it, <laughs> and he reply, hits reply. It's reply. Here you go. And here's your app. Uh, well, so, I mean, we, we don't cross compile or anything like that. And that's kind of a common misconception because when you're inside a Visual Studio, you'll see an iOS project, an Android project, a portable class library, a Windows uh, or Windows phone project, mm-hmm. or even a UWP project, anything you want that can run some .NET. Uh, and we have our own linkers, compilers, and optimizers for each platform. So on iOS, right? So everything's ahead of time compiled. And uh, we take your C sharp, we compile it down into to some IL, uh, and then we take that IL and we compile it once more into LLVM bytecode. And and what we do is you're going to be doing that on a Mac for iOS, but we we basically take all of that and we run it through the same LLVM compiler and optimizer that that Apple uses for Objective C and Swift apps. But what we've done there is um, you have your .NET bits, and we basically ahead of time compile bits and that are required for the mono runtime, including garbage collection, everything like that. And then your iOS calls are interesting because we create these C-sharp bindings around them. It's kind of like we're almost P-invoking into, right. if, if you will, at a, at a high level form. That's not what we're doing because I'm a, I'm a high to, I'm a mid to high level developer. Mm-hmm. When you get down into LLVM bytecode, I don't know. It just <laughs> works, right? It's, it's magical unicorns and rainbows. But, you know, we're creating those C-sharp bindings and that's where we're adding the C-sharp features. And then on Android, we have our own bits. I mean, Android is, is lovely. It's, it's like a beautiful disaster um, of how it works. Like, it's my favorite platform. It's crazy. Uh, I love it. I love it to death, but I really do call it a beautiful disaster because how it's kind of running is inside of its own little VM, right? The Java VM. And you're running either the Art or Dalvik runtime on these Android devices. And what we can do is we can, we can leverage the fact of how Android works, and we can actually run bits and pieces of the mono runtime uh, right side by side the Art or Dalvik. And, and, and what we can do is we can execute your .NET code. It's all compiled up over on the, the mono runtime and we can J and I across for your Android calls. But we handle on any of the platforms, all the garbage collection, all the reference counting, like everything like that. So to you, um, as a developer, like your code just runs natively with the, the most highly efficient, highly optimized, um, performance, all the APIs and to your users, they have no idea what the application was built in because the UI is 100% native, the APIs are 100% native, your app's 100% native. It's just an app they download from the app store. There's nothing additional to install. It's just an app. So I think that's the that's the biggest point, right? So, you know, when I was making an iPad app in C Sharp, I wasn't losing anything by not doing an Objective-C, right? If I was saying, hey, I have this integer and I want to add one to it, I mean, ultimately to the device, whether I'd done it in Objective-C or C Sharp, it's basically the same thing, right? Yeah, it's just some bytecode running on ARM. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not being emulated and going to be a hundred times slower. No, no, not at all. Right. No. 
No. I just wanted to make that clear. That was that was kind of my takeaway is like there's it's still, you know, it runs awesome on there. Now, you had mentioned uh, a, a term that I wanted cleared up a bit. So you mentioned bindings. What are they and, you know, how do you use them? Yeah. So so what's interesting is what we do when we're releasing like new iOS support, like for iOS 9 or Android M or whatever is coming out, like with uh, OS X. What we do is we take all those core APIs, those Java, those Objective-C, those core uh, APIs, and we create these C-sharp bindings around them. They're kind of like wrappers, if you will, but we call them bindings because we can customize them. It's kind of like P-invoking in almost. So we take all of the core APIs and a lot of on Android, the support libraries and design libraries and Google Play services, and we create this DLL. And, and you access namespaces, you access classes, and we just C-sharp bindings around them um, and use our binding technology. But we expose that to developers so let's say you find an Objective-C um, library that you like or a Java library that you like. We give you the same technology inside of Visual Studio or Xamarin Studio to drop that jar in or that archive file with the headers. And you can create your own C-sharp bindings around that, that, um, that native code, uh, if you will, archive file. And it basically just calls the native code and, and invokes into it, if you will. It's a little bit lower level than I like to get into, but that's kind of the C-sharp binding around it. And that's what we're, we're doing. And then we compile it down into the, the native bytecode. So if I have some, so it's just, it's, it's what you're acting. It's basically you're creating this binding. Um, so you don't have to write like, uh, you know, touch up inside with blah, 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 you know, the actual native call, it's the C-sharp version of it. So we, we fix things. So we uppercase things when we add async await. So mm, that's cool. it's more than a wrapper. It's more than a wrapper because we C-sharpify it, if you will. Oh, that, we, that's probably the best way to say, yeah, you C-sharpify it. That's cool. We C-sharpify uh, an Objective-C or Java API. Cool. So, so then at the same time, if I at work, if I have an Objective-C or a Java library, I can use the same technology you do to write bindings for my existing internal uh, SDKs, and I can use that within Xamarin then as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So when you go to our component store or just download some NuGets, for instance, a lot of those are just the binding technologies. When you think of Google Play services or the Android support libraries, those are just jars that we have basically sent through our command line tools that spit out um, some files for you that you can access and, and bind it up. It's really cool. I did that. I wrote the binding uh, with like my uh, one of my uh, uh, buddies, Mike Bluestein, uh, for the Estimode SDK, which is iBeacons. And we just took their SDK, ran it through a com command line tool on iOS called uh, Objective Sharpie. It's a tool that we wrote and we publish. Uh, and it just basically spits out and it's like, here you go. And then... And it does a one-to-one -one out of the box, but then we give you kind of um, attributes that you can add and you can clean it up so you can rename things and it handles everything for you. It's really quite magical. Yeah, you mentioned that you have, uh, you know, that project on GitHub. I One thing that, that I totally forgot to mention was you have like, a million GitHub repositories. I think you're like, you have like half the, the, the code that's on GitHub, <laughs> but like every, every problem that, that a developer could run into with Xamarin or any gap that they could find, it seems like you filled that gap, which is really incredible. So we're going to, we'll include all that in the show notes, but you were, you were walking us through that the one day and it was just amazing. Like any, anything we thought of is, Oh, it'd be nice to have this. You're like, yeah, I wrote that. I just wrote that last week. And then I don't know, there probably was one thing that you didn't do, but you probably wrote it as you were talking. <laughs> it was just really impressive. <laughs> Yeah, when you, when you look at my, that's the one part I love about my job. When I when I joined Xamarin as an evangelist, I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, they're like, hey, like we'd love to hire you as an evangelist. I was like, cool, I'd love to work for for Xamarin. I have no idea what this means, but th that sounds cool. And I read the description, and 
And and what an evangelist Xamarin does is that, yeah, we talk a lot at conferences and we're kind of growing the community organically in a way by going to user groups, going to conferences and sharing our knowledge with developers on Xamarin. But I'm still blogging all the time, building applications, mm-hmm. publishing them. Uh, for instance, uh, me and a few other Xamarins, I first made this app called Coffee Filter, which uses your GPS location to find you coffee shops around you. Do you get it? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, was, I was like, I'm a clever developer. <laughs> Came up with a clever name. Uh, so I made it for Android first, and we worked on porting it for iOS. But that application shows like plugins for Xamarin's like connectivity, GPS, maps, um, parallaxing, like material design, uh, tabs. It shows everything. It's completely 100% open source. Every single thing that I do is open source. So all my libraries. Uh-oh. I got a phone call coming in. <laughs> Yes, that's a that's a physical. That's Miguel. Phone. You heard us say his name. I know. Let me <laughs> let me hang up on this. Hold on. We'll take a, a breather really quick. Are you happy with your long distance service? <laughs> I am. So so I we could we could do a whole blog post on this. So I use Google Voice, and what I do is I have this little like OBI um, Ethernet module that whenever my phone rings, my Google Voice number, it directs it not only to my Gmail. So like my browser just rang, my physical phone rang. And I'm like my cell phone. And then I actually have like this little Panasonic thing, phone, little like thing. And, and it rings like this, a, like but it's all called over a IP. It's, oh, this thing. You know, these things that you used to be to in houses. Like that, that's a phone, James. It's a phone. This, yeah. is, this is a phone. We used those when we were kids. <laughs> and, uh, and so it calls it. It's all magical through VoIP, basically. Uh, so I, I don't ever use it, but it's in the house just in case. So really let me know that I have to have 8,000 things ringing um, to do that. But yeah, that, that's what I kind of love about this being an evangelist is I'm blogging all the time, opening everything. If yeah, if you look at my GitHub, I did some analysis. Did you know that you can query GitHub um, for like top followers or like stars on repos? And in, and you can do it with like a, a just a, a JavaScript syntax. So you say, okay, followers greater than or equal to 460. I think I have 400 and some odd 60 followers. Mm-hmm. And I think now I didn't, I didn't beat McGowan. I didn't beat Paul Betts, but uh, I think I'm like 18 on C sharp contributors with followers and things like that. That's awesome. Cause everything I do, I just want to blog, 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 blog and ship code all the time. And if anyone asks me a question, like that's a great blog post and that's a great sample. So um, I love it. Very cool. Well, we'll get back on topic here, but yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of just get out there and, and help fix some of these projects, write the code to fill in these gaps. I was just talking to my team about that uh, week before last I was saying, you know, don't report bugs and documentation, just go fix it. And a lot of our stuff is out on GitHub now, and I know you guys do stuff in the open. So that's that's really cool. So anyway, let's get back on topic. So let's talk about um, native code. So, you know, I'm kind of curious if you have an app that's already written in Objective-C and you want to you want to start, you know, you're like, oh, geez, I didn't know I could do C Sharp, which is awesome. Um, is there is there a way to transition over to C sharp using Xamarin? And then what about vice versa? I don't, I don't know why you'd ever go the other way, but is there, if you're starting with, with C sharp and for some reason you want to go to objective C, um, you know, are either of those directions easy, hard? What's that look like? That's a good question. So um, since we, on Xamarin, uh, iOS and Xamarin, Android and Mac, since we use the native compilations, how we're compiling down natively, we use the same file structure, the same file format. So on iOS, you usually have a nib file, an XIB file, mm-hmm. or a storyboard. Storyboard's like the de facto now. But um, to at least bring over your designs, you could bring over your existing storyboard or go back with your existing storyboard. In fact, you can open your storyboards in Xcode if you wanted to use Interface Builder and modify those. On Android, we just use the standard Android XML markup. It's basically just like XAML, but completely different. 
Um, <laughs> it's basically just XML without the data okay. binding, but it does have resource binding, which is confusing. Um, and, and so in those bits, you can bring over all of your resources, all of your Android XML files, and you can go back and forth. Now your code behind, like for your UI view controller, mm-hmm. your activities on Android, so like the pages, the page code behind, if you will, your XAML CS, if you will, uh, those you're going to have to like re kind of write in either, you know, in C sharp again and link it up. But kind of, kind of what Carl hinted on earlier was, oh, I have these libraries that I created yeah, that's good or point. I created this stuff already. You could just bring those over. So you wouldn't have to rewrite those bits and pieces. Okay. And a lot of those things are already available for you. We have like the most popular like image downloading and caching things already available to you. So you would just rebind it up, if you will. So you'd basically, what you'd want to, what you'd want to do. Because when you think of the world of iOS and Android, there's no shared code today in Java and Objective-C. So you'd want to create a shared C-sharp backend anyways, right. using all the .NET bits and then tying in Windows uh, into it as well. So you have this nice, just amazing 50 60%. And then you would rebind your user interface into this new library. That's the way to go. Now, going the other way around, not, not really. Uh, besides that, you could take the same storyboards or Android XML files and resources uh, the other way around. So that stuff is shared. Your UI bits could be shared back and forth, but the logic you're going to want to rewrite. So, you know, just to kind of reiterate too, I think it sounds like no matter what approach you take or or how you do this, you want to make sure that your application is built in layers where you have, you know, that backend code shouldn't be hard tied to that, that front end code. And, and if you have Objective-C today where that's the case, well, actually I think Objective-C, the way that they do it sort of forces you to keep those things separated, but the more separation you can have there, it sounds like the better your life is going to be because then you have a lot more options about where you can move that code. And, and, and again, like taking like a PCL or a shared project, you can actually use that in Xamarin and, and, and share that code across all your projects. So that's how you want to lay things out. Yeah, so your most iOS and Android apps are built with an MVC right. framework in mind, and, and we you could use that still with Xamarin. We we tend towards MVVM because it has more V's and more M's. Um, <laughs> so we really like that approach because you know more V's, more M's. That sounds great. So uh, it's going to be the same thing. Yeah, you're basically taking that UI and kind of putting it off to the side and saying like, all right, if I have to do custom parallax, all that stuff, yeah, I'm accessing those native APIs in C sharp, but that's the UI. When I click this button, let me call this I command or this, this method that's all async awaitified uh, and kind of carry on. And that's what you want to do to, to deserialize and grab JSON data. And you'll see that in all my samples. I just have a models, a view models folder, and I'm good to go. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second. And I want to talk about infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, They have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. 
But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. And then uh, you had emailed, this is sort of changing topics, but you had emailed me this morning. Apparently, you had listened to the the last episode and uh, where I had mentioned my band project, where, and for anybody who hasn't heard about this, I'm, I'm going to put out a probably a blog post on it, but basically, I, I built a project where you can use gestures with your Microsoft band um, that will talk to uh, right now it's just a Windows phone. And then that Windows phone will end up talking to uh, a web service. It makes a rest call and allows you to control PowerPoint. So you can be in front of an audience and basically do gesture based control of the uh, of the PowerPoint, which is which is really cool. I'm actually I need to sign up to speak somewhere just to just to use this. I'm really excited about that. But you had mentioned that there's a there's a, a Xamarin version of the band SDK. And I I had seen that um, and I I didn't for the for the interest of time I didn't use it. I I wasn't sure if it was going to add any time. I just I only had 12 hours to do this thing, so I didn't even look at it, but I saw that it was there. So so what is the deal? Is it is it basically would my code look any different with that? It's going to look very similar. So here's here's an interesting concept that we did. And um, we'll probably talk about Xamarin Forms a little bit later, but we we kind of took about this process of what are developers doing on platforms, and this this actually applies to the band stuff. Well, you're accessing these native features like GPS settings, talk text to speech, uh, accelerometers, things like that. Mm-hmm. Things that actually exist. The APIs are all different, but they exist on each platform. So we use the magic of C sharp and PCLs or pickles, as as Miguel would say, and, and Nuges, and <laughs> we took we made an abstraction over all of these APIs. Mm-hmm. So you just have an interface that you code against. And how PCLs and NuJs work, they kind of hot swap things in and out. Um, Paul Betts has a great uh, blog post called Bait and Switch that we can link to in the show notes. And it tells you how it works. But as a developer, you have a single API. And then at runtime, it'll just call the Android or iOS or Windows code. So this is really cool because in your shared code, you can access this API to access native features. Mm -hmm. And you can even stub it out for your unit test because it's just an interface. Uh, but you could access from a single API, like text-to-speech, GPS, taking a photo, doing all this stuff. And we write all that code ahead of time. We call it plugins for Xamarin. And I'll, and I'll give you guys a link for the show notes. We have about 50 or 60 of them. So we took this concept and we brought it over to the Microsoft Band SDK. And if you look at the Microsoft Band website, there's a Windows Phone SDK, an iOS, and an Android one. But those are only Java and Objective-C. So like what Carl said earlier, we created a binding mm-hmm for the iOS and the Android SDKs. So you could use them in your Xamarin, Android, or Xamarin iOS projects. But then we took it one step further and we applied this plugin concept. So we mirrored, now Microsoft did a great job with these APIs because they're nearly identical on every single platform. So what we did is Matt LeBeau from our components team was brilliant with this. And he he created an abstraction layer, an API on top of it. It's nearly one-to-one with everything that you're doing. But in your portable class libraries, in your view models, you can say, connect to band, mm-hmm. access the, the heart rate, get this, all that, the same exact API calls. And then it doesn't matter if it's running on iOS, Android, or Windows phone, it just works. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I really need yeah. to do that because 
I, I think I could so make a cool. cross-platform app in the same amount of time. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk about, um, actually, the next topic is Xamarin.Form. So let's talk about that, and then we can kind of come back. Because I think what I want what I want to do is is replace my app with a Xamarin.Forms app. So what what is Xamarin.Forms? That's a great question. So uh, Xamarin.Forms is a lot. Um, so we, we've been kind of talking about the, the traditional approach to Xamarin development, which is crafting out a great native experience, native user interface on each with the native storyboard editors and Android XML storyboards. And that's really great for a lot of consumer applications uh, like Mix Radio, for instance, just came out that uses all Xamarin for everything. There's tons of other amazing case studies you can see on our website, um, Tink and all these other ones that are very complex applications um, that are doing background music streaming and tying into all the latest SDKs. But we have a lot of customers today and a lot of developers today that are creating more like enterprise-y type applications or maybe applications that need to kind of look the same on each platform, but we still want 100% native APIs and the same native uh, access to those APIs and the native look and feel of the platforms. So we created this library called Xamarin Forms. And, and it kind of, as the name implies, Xamarin Forms, it enables you to kind of do forms over data or simple type applications with a cross-platform UI layer. So just like we have plugins for Xamarin, which can be used in any Xamarin application, whether it's with Xamarin Traditional or Xamarin Forms, we said, what's common in the UI space across iOS, Android, and Windows? And let's abstract that. So you have a button, and that button over here happens to be a UI button on iOS and a button and a button on Android and Windows, or a list view, uh, a UI table view, and a long list selector on Windows. But at the end of the day, I just want a button or I want a list. Exactly. So what you do is we abstracted that and we abstracted properties that are similar and you can create your user interface all in C-sharp code behind or you can do it all in XAML um, with two-way data binding. So we added a data binding framework and MVVM uh, type data binding in there with uh, styles and behaviors and triggers and everything you kind of know and love. So in your shared project, your PCL, you add Xamarin Forms into all your projects or say file new Xamarin Forms type app. You're creating your iOS, Android, and Windows user interfaces and code behind all in C-sharp or in XAML, uh, but still having access to all those native APIs because we have like a dependency service built in and a messaging center, kind of common MVVM type frameworks, but 100% shared UI. So if you don't need any customizations to your user interface, you're just kind of out of the box um, and you don't need too many native API accesses uh, to it. Like you get like a hundred percent shared code. It's crazy. Right. I mean, like your, your typical line of business app, I mean, Xamarin forms would be fine for that, right? Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. I'm actually building and, and this will hopefully be up by the time the show comes out or it will be in a little bit. I'm going to talk about it is I'm creating an application called like my shop. Just imagine you're a company or you're a store and you have a list of stores uh, in the area or a restaurant mm-hmm. and you say like, you know, leave feedback or, you know, find a store so you find a store and here's like a nice list based on state or city that you have. You dive into details, you place a phone call, navigate to it. We have plugins to kind of handle that. So just kind of simple, just kind of data or leave feedback. So it's like CRUD operations, like I'm filling in mm-hmm. some feedback form and I'm submitting that to Azure mobile services in my back end. Uh, so you're doing like CRUD type operations or just showing data in a list or a nice grid. Man, it's money for that. It's so great. And you can still go in and customize the user interface. And we have a way of getting down to the native um, the native controls because we give you access to those. Because so what Xamarin Forms is doing is gives you that API to access that button, but it lays down the native button for you. So when you hit click and you get a click event, mm-hmm. it's actually bubbling up the native click events um, from the actual UI button, for instance, which would be a t- touch-up inside event for you. But if you need to do something custom, 
uh, on that button. And on iOS, you can get like touch down events, touch up events, touch outside events. You can still register for those because you can still get down and create your own custom button that you could do. And you could add custom data bindings and all that jazz. It's crazy. It's awesome. Yeah. So for my for my band app, for my PowerPoint remote, all I really need is I just display a number and I display like another text field. So Xamarin Forms, I mean, that just seems to be the the way to go because I'm just going to I'm going to center that text and have some instructions there. And that's all my app does. And then the fact that I can use that common SDK, boom, I have an app for all platforms. That's that's just amazing. Yeah. What you might be able to do, too, is just create that portable class library using and if you're using MVVM already with with this type of application, like you might not even have to rewrite any code. Mm-hmm. It might just all come over magically and you just create a new XAML page and do the data binding. So instead of writing the Windows phone or Windows store um, XAML, you're writing Xamarin Forms XAML right. and you would just tie up your data bindings with the same syntax. It's magic. Cool. That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So I heard recently that Xamarin Forms added support for Windows 8.1 universal platform. Uh, can you walk us through what it would take to <clears throat> add, you know, that part to an existing Xamarin Forms project? Or does it just get you get it out of the box? Yeah. So when we launched Xamarin Forms uh, about a year ago now uh, with Xamarin 3 launch, uh, when you say file new project in Visual Studio and select a blank application with Xamarin Forms, it lays down your iOS, Android, Windows Phone, Silverlight, 8.0 application, because that was what was out at the time. And yeah, we launched official support for uh, Windows 8.1 phone and store applications. Uh, so we don't have templates in there yet. They're coming soon. So in the future, it'll say file new projects and it'll lay them all down for mm-hmm. you. But uh, what you can do is if you go to developer.xamarin.com, it, there's a walkthrough guide. But it's actually as simple as um, saying, I want to add a blank like phone 8.1 uh, application or store 8.1 application. You install the Xamarin Forms NuGet, um, which will install it. You add your portable class library, just like a reference. Uh, and then there's about three lines of code that you need to add. You'll modify the main page.xaml with a, a custom Xamarin Forms page so it can tie, tie into those events. Uh, and then your uh, app.cs file, you'll change like two lines of code. So that way Xamarin Forms can get access to the application events and it can bubble it up to the main uh, application. And you're done. All right. So looking forward, you know, Windows 10 is coming out and the new universal windows platform it has a different structure compared to the old ones since it took so long to get windows 8 one support what are we looking for as a rough time frame to we can expect to see you know xamarin forms for the new goodness we'll take an exact date please yeah sure <laughs> uh so I, i'm just i'm just a lonely developer evangelist uh you know i don't have a, they don't give me timelines nor do i want to know actually <laughs> yeah, i don't want to know point. like briefly but if i don't know i can't lie to you that's the best part i can't tell you because i don't know so it's um, not now, august 1st <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know um so so what's interesting about xamarin whether you're using xamarin forms or not xamarin forms just traditional approach you can already add a uwp application have your dotnet you know portable class library and bring it over and create mm-hmm. a UI with UWP if you want to. Now for Xamarin Forms, ideally, if you are making a Xamarin Forms application, you'd want to just say add new project to UWP, download the new game and go. Now, when we launched uh, official support, and we, it was in the 8.1 uh, universal platform support was in alpha and beta for a long time. So we actually had support before that. So we're getting feedback. When we launched and went to stable with it, this was at .NET Conf. It was me, Miguel, and Scott Hanselman on stage. We uh, also announced a preview of our universal Windows platform support. So we have a private preview today um, that we're seeking feedback for. So if you go to blog.xamarin.com, 
uh, and actually search for it, you'll find it on there. So uh, we have it, you know, we got people working on it and that'd be pretty cool. So I, I mean, technically then you could run that app anywhere mm-hmm. if, it, if, uh, if it all win, if it all works in the windows 10 world. <laughs> so very cool. But, and, and then what we do, cause that's, what's interesting, right? So when you think we want to add a new platform, so if we want to add Xamarin Mac or some other platform, we just have to create and, and take that button and then do the actual renderer, if you will, the actual, um, what happens when the text changes or the data binding changes. So we have a team, our Xamarin Forms team that is doing all that and fixing bugs and all that stuff at the same time. So to you as a developer, you know, all those UIs just kind of stay the same. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, the other thing we were to talk about was Xamarin University and, and, and actually I almost need you to talk negatively about this because I was looking at it and I was talking to Carl before the, before the episode. And I'm like, this is just, this is absolutely insane because it's, uh, uh, what is it? 19 something, you know, it's roughly $2,000 and it's instruct that's per year and it's instructor led training. Um, and, and I looked at like the list of topics and this seems like, it seems like an incredible value to me. So so what's what's the deal? Am I sort of misunderstanding this or is, is that what it is? So what Xamarin University is, uh, it is live interactive training mm-hmm. with Xamarin University instructors. So when you enroll into it, uh, into Xamarin University, we have about 60 plus courses covering iOS, Android, Windows, C Sharp, F Sharp from not only Xamarin experts, but also um, just industry experts as well. And these are... Um, a live interactive classes. You hop on a basically go to meeting, um, and you're actually taking a class step by step. And it's a lab based classes if you're attending university. And through this process, you can become a Xamarin certified developer. So it's the only way to get the Xamarin certification, um, that we have available to you. But you get a lot more than that too. You get access to all of the Xamarin University videos, all of the um, lab-based content, and you also have office hours with Xamarin University instructors and experts. So for instance, you need a code review, architecture guide, uh, guidance, just mobile strategy advice. Uh, you actually get office hours. So it's like consulting that you get part, part of this as yeah. well. So if you're having a problem with code and you need to do something, you need to tweak something with the profiler and get, you know, you know, do something new, it's there. But what I like about Xamarin University is that as we're evolving, uh, Xamarin itself, but as iOS, Android, and Windows is evolving at the same time, we're constantly adding new content. So iOS 9 is about to come out. Android M is going to come out. We immediately have all of these new classes available to you as well. Um, so obviously, since it's actual live instructors, like not, there's pre-recordings that you can access at any time, but to, you actually have to attend the classes to get the certification. Um, so there's real instructors that are yeah. paying like almost as if you're going well, to university. That's why it seems like an incredible value because if I'm building something, uh, it just it just seems like that'd be invaluable because we talked about that earlier, like this pair programming and having having someone that you can say, hey, I got stuck on this, I'm you know on this problem, and having an expert at the under, other end of the line and having those office hours. That seems you know it sounds like I'm trying to sell this. I mean, you you in no way have like paid the show or anything. We 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 probably sell like we're selling stuff every once in a while, but man, it just it looks like an amazing deal to me. Yeah, it's it's really cool to me because uh, I still just kind of go on and I'll, I'll randomly hop into one at like midnight because that's what mm-hmm. you know that's what I do at midnight and just hop onto one. It's twenty, it's nearly twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. I think Sunday's a little bit lower, but we try to target uh, all different areas because there's developers all over the mm-hmm. world. Um, so while it does seem a little bit pricey, if your company has a, a training budget, for instance, like you know, boom, 
hook that up in there if you're a consultant. Like getting that certification is 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 really really important. But getting access to all this at any time is great. And you can look at the list of all the classes. So even just like using Google Maps or advanced auto layout and constraints, UI test, debugging. I mean, even just learning C sharp and F sharp sharp as well, like type providers, like we introduce you to all of this. So mm-hmm. how to actually build out just traditional apps, but also Xamarin forms. How does data binding work? How does XAML work um, coming in? And I'm always learning something new. Yeah, exactly. When you're thinking of of Atwood's like uh, response, like it's, I'm learning even having done this for four years because I can't comprehend everything in these mobile mm-hmm. applications. There's just so much that's there. Um, but we actually just started a free trial uh, of Xamarin University. And what the trial gets you is, I should say it's even more than that too. So Xamarin University um, actually gives you access to two other type, um, um, two other type of sessions or lightning lectures and guest lectures. So lightning lectures are like something came out and they're going to build the lab for it, but we want to get you and give you something really quick. So it's like a webinar that's recorded. You get access to all those, but then you also get access to all the guest lectures. And guest lecturers are people and experts from Xamarin, but also just industry experts or people from the community that are doing amazing things that are doing guest lectures. Um, for instance, Miguel just did a uh, kind of open house roundtable discussion uh, for about 45 minutes talking about the state of .NET, state of Xamarin, like all this stuff, the future of mobile. And that was really cool. I mean, you you know, unless you go to a conference yeah, and hear invaluable. Miguel talk, it's super cool. And then you could actually hop onto that, that, that live session. You could have asked him questions, uh, which is really cool. So, so the, the trial gives you access to two Xamarin University courses. I think introduction to Xamarin forms and kind of the overview, like introduction to Xamarin University and Xamarin, but also access to all those guest lectures and uh, lightning lectures as well. Yeah, this seems as valuable as as college, right? So if you're in school, I mean, it seems like you should also be doing this because, um, you know, mobile apps are, are so important these days. And uh, I don't know, for the price, I mean, that's a lot less than you're going to pay for school. And that's, you know, so you pay the nineteen ninety five uh, for an entire year. I, it just, it seems like a good price to me. I don't know. I keep saying that. So I'm going to drop it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, if you are a student, by the way, it's interesting you oh, bring up students. Uh, well, uh, so we have a uh, st- student pricing. We're actually part of BizSpark. Oh, okay. Uh, so Xamarin is completely free for students, not Xamarin University, but creating iOS and Android applications all in C sharp inside of visual studio, basically our business edition, which is the full, the full of everything. Uh, students get all that for free. So Xamarin.com slash student, whether you're college, university, high school, anything, just some sort of accredited thing, they uh, sign up and they just ask for some sort of enrollment. But if you're part of Biz or uh, of, of DreamSpark, DreamSpark is the one mm-hmm. that I want to think of. So many sparks, yep. but DreamSpark. If your university is in that, it's just like one click, kind of good to go. But what we've worked with is we also have uh, this student um, student partner ambassador program where uh, if you're really engaged, like this is your thing, you just are super pumped about contributing code, making apps, and want to be uh, involved in your local like, student um, or university, per se, or create a club or something like that, uh, we have basically these ambassadors, student ambassadors, that kind of get Xamarin University certification and get access to a whole bunch of other stuff, and we work with them. Uh, to be kind of driving mobile C-sharp development uh, around the globe at universities. So we're trying to push everywhere, and including educators as well. So people that just want to experiment, people that are really, really active, and even educators as well, 
we'll hook them up with uh, some teaching material, subscriptions uh, to kind of get them off the ground running. Because, you know, these kids that are out there, like they're our future when it comes to software mm-hmm. development. And we want to enable them anyway, just like, you know, uh, Microsoft has done with uh, DreamSpark, which is an amazing program. Very cool. So another Xamarin product, Xamarin Test Cloud. So this one, I admittedly, I, I even though I spent two days with you, I totally misunderstood this because um, I was thinking it was like a Xamarin related thing. Like I built, you know, like a Xamarin Forms app and this would help me test it. And I understood the mechanics of how this thing actually works as I know you have um, a ton of device. So I'll let you talk about that in just a second. But um, I guess one thing I want to say up front, it sounds like this you don't even have to have a Xamarin app to use this, right? Yeah. So, well, first let me talk about yep, what Xamarin what it is. Cloud is. So, you know, as a developer, as a .NET developer, I've been used to um, TDD, test-driven mm-hmm. development, uh, which is kind of building my, my, uh, my unit tests ahead of time, implementing code. Well, you try to, right? Yeah. Um, not that you're ahead always going to do it. As close but... to the time of creation of the code as possible. Exactly. Uh, and so the idea there is that we've all gotten used to being able to test our business logic. Mm-hmm. So does this REST service call work? Does this thing store into my database? Like, does my core, you know, business logic of my application work? The problem is, how do you test your application's user interface that's reacting to this business logic across the tens of thousands of different devices that are on, out on the market? You know, just on iOS, you don't not only have iPods, but you have iPads, you have different sizes of iPads, retina screens, non-retina screens, iPhone, iPhone 6, 6 Plus, 5S, 5, 4, mm-hmm. like all these different devices, all these different flavors of iOS. On Android, you have nearly 20,000 unique devices that have been created. And I was just at Google I.O. attending, and Google said, you know, that they have about five to 6,000 unique devices hitting Google Play downloading apps every single day. Wow. So 6,000 devices, active devices, which is crazy. And in the world of Android, there's all these flavors. So what we created was um, a way for you to test your user interface. So interacting with your application's user interface across iOS and Android. Um, Any any iOS or Android application, uh, we kind of leverage two different technologies uh, Calabash, which is, uh, if you're in the testing community, you'll be very much aware of that. Uh, Calabash is a Ruby-based uh, automation uh, scripting, and like Gherkin is a way of doing these scripts to say, I want to interact and I want to click this button with this ID. So it's not pixel-based, it's ID-based, which is important across all these devices. And you can swipe. We, we basically give you access through Ruby or through C-sharp with our library called Xamarin UI Test to create these automated user interface scripts. And what you're doing is you're saying, when I click this button or I log in, so the user does username and password and they click login, you want to test successful, um, not successful, wrong password, like is the password like too long, is it not short enough, like the registration page, and you want to make sure that your user interface is reacting accordingly. Do you show them a dialog box, is something red, is it enabled, disabled, um, and you want to make sure that things are scaling across all of these different platforms. So you build out not only your business logic test but also your user interface uh, scripts in either C-sharp or Ruby. Now, what's cool is that you can actually run these scripts for free um, on a simulator or emulator. And you can do this on any application, whether it's written in uh, Xamarin and C-sharp, PhoneGap, Java, Objective-C, it doesn't matter. Any iOS or Android application, we enable you to do that. Um, And then the intricate part here is that you know you're running it on a simulator? That's great, and you you smoke test your application. But how do you test it on all of these devices that I'm talking about? Well, 
that's why we created Xamarin Test Cloud, which is the world's largest um, device test cloud um, out there. And we have, uh, I went, I'm just looking at the thing right now, we add so many every single week. We have 1,600 different iOS and Android devices, nearly 1,000 Android devices. Physical real devices sitting there. Physical real devices um, uh, in, in 600 different iOS devices, mm-hmm. 144 unique phones, uh, form factors and 41 different tablets. And and what we do is we build across all of these. So you, you'll see iPad 4s, you know, running iOS 8, iOS right. you know, 7, 04, 7, 8, 2, all these different things. And we scale out. So for instance, we have like 100 some on Nexus 5s because it's one of the most popular devices. Same with the Samsung devices. So you upload those same test scripts and your application to our test cloud. And what you're doing there is um, we'll take all your test scripts and we'll run them on these physical devices and you'll get screenshots every step of the way. You just say app.screenshot in your application, uh, in your UI test, and it'll pump out a screenshot every step of the way. So you're building out and you're seeing your application being run on all of these different devices across iOS and Android. And we go all the way back to iOS 6 and all the way back to Froyo, which is Android 2.2, like way back in the day. I mean, that's what I started four or five years ago. So if you can think about a device, we probably have it in the test cloud. If not, you can request a device and we'll put it in the test cloud. Um, and then what you get is you can tie into your automation system, um, your, your CI system to VSO. Um, if you want to tie into to GitHub and you get all these things or email alerts and you'll get a report back to say, what devices did this fail on my test scripts? Um, um, you know, which version of the operating system did it test on? You can see the screenshots, get stack traces, get the actual resolution screenshot of the device, which I think is really useful when submitting to the app stores. Um, That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, you could actually just use those. But that was that was really neat to see a demo of that because, you know, you had an application that that you ran through there and and you could see on some of the the devices with smaller screens, kind of your responsive layout didn't work on like two of them. And then you sort of make the decision, well, eh, it sort of looks usable and not many people have those devices. Or you can say, you know, do I want to fix this? And then when after you make the code change and you can run it again, um, it it sort of multiplies the effect of your test, which is really cool. Also, I mean, and just for the fact, um, does my application run on these devices? (laughs) Um, Just just does it launch uh, is important. And can I tap around and does the navigation work? Uh, We were making an app uh, for build and we demoed a build called Kinder Chat. It's a real time chat communication app. And for some reason, a version of Android, the back button, how I coded it, I, did, I didn't do this on purpose. We made the UI test mm-hmm. and uh, and the back button, however they did it in that version of Android, just failed. So like the back button literally did nothing if it was a version of Android uh, 4.0, but on 4.1, it was totally fine. But a lot of times what you'll see on all these Samsung devices is that not all versions of Android are created equal. Some have like the Samsung user interface and these different things that they're doing. Um, I have this plugin for Xamarin Forms. It's called the Circle Image. It's, you take an image and you put it in a circle. Like who doesn't want to do that? So it's a cust- it's a custom control. Uh, that's that's what all the cool kids are doing. Uh, put it in a circle. So what I did is um, I, I ran uh, just the Evolve application, the Xamarin Evolve application up there. And what I found is that in like it was like Android four three. It worked fine on these Samsung devices. Mm-hmm. And 4.4, they broke it completely, and it like wouldn't cut out the circle. But then in in uh, Lollipop, it worked fine again. Nice. Like, you know, even on the same and, device. And you would have and you would have never systems. found that, right? Because you would have run it on the no. oldest one and the newest one, and it looked perfect. And you're like, well, it's going to work on everything between. Exactly, and, and you know, I found I was going through my photo collection. Um, 
when I was in, in Norway, I was kind of bored one night. I'm just going to go through and just kind of clean and look at all these photos that I, ha I had moved over to, to the, the, new, the Google Photos app. And I found a, screen, a, a shot that I took off of Twitter that said, um, running my app on like, all these devices ready to launch. And it was five devices. It was like it was like an Android tablet, an Android phone, my Android phone, yeah. an iPod Touch, and like a Windows Phone device. And I was like, "This is the best test suite ever," <laughs> you know. Guaranteed to work uh, everywhere now. Guaranteed to work everywhere. And I you mean, know, I throw all my apps up there just to kind of see how they they look, and I'm surprised every single time. And I mean, I've been doing this for a yeah. long time, but just seeing random crashes, you can get a full stack trace and everything, the full console logs. And you'd be really surprised, especially on Android, but even on iOS, just little things that kind of shift yep. in a point release. You never know. Yep. No. So now that we're all excited about, you know, the benefits of Xamarin, what's this going to cost me to get into it? So the Xamarin, you know, things are a little bit different. So university and test call on the platform are, are all have different pricing structures to them. And we kind of went over uni university mm -hmm. as well, but the core platform, uh, so building iOS, Android and uh, Mac and Windows applications in C Sharp, uh, the platform itself, um, its pricing is on a per developer, uh, per platform device. Uh, yeah, per, per developer, per platform, per year. And what platform means is iOS, Android, or Mac. For Windows, you don't pay us for Windows. You pay Microsoft for Windows and, and you use Visual Studio and all that jazz. Community Edition if you want, that's great. Um, your C-sharp C and .NET code just run over there. And that, that's what you got to remember. So you don't pay us for Windows. A platform is either iOS, Android, or Mac, because those are the Xamarin platform platforms, if you will. And, you know, the pricing is always adjusting, so go to store.xamarin.com for the latest on there. But we do have a free version called the Starter Edition, and it doesn't work with Xamarin Forms. Uh, it's just for building out very simple applications in the traditional sense on iOS and Android. You can even do that inside of Visual Studio. But once you maybe breach the app size or you want to use Xamarin Forms, um, obviously we have a full 30-day trial of everything that's in our business edition. But you have Indie, Business, and Enterprise. And the Indie, for instance, is $25 a month, um, paid monthly or annually, uh, that you can do. And that's per platform. So it's like, I want to do iOS development and Android development. Well, it's $50 a month. Um, I think you might get a little bit of a like an offer when you do multiple and bundle things together. And then the business... Um, the big difference on business, so indie is for like kind of indie developers, smaller shops, one-man shops, me and you just kind of building some apps. It's all in Xamarin Studio on the Mac or PC to build out these applications. And it's all community-driven support. So we have forums, we have threads, you have me. Uh, but you get to do everything you want to do. Deploy to app stores, everything you want. There's no royalties with Xamarin, anything like that. Um, the business edition gives you Visual Studio support, um, some business uh, features such as in-house deployment, headless bills if you're doing CI, official email support with Xamarin support engineers uh, as well. And that's uh, $83 a month paid annually, so like $1,000 a year per platform. And um, we have some MSDN offers on uh, Xamarin.com slash MSDN. And then uh, we also have enterprise and there's a lot of, you know, things you, I'm not sales. I don't, I'm, <laughs> oh, totally, I'm literally, totally if, you, if, if you go to my, I see, yeah, you're you, reading it off the page yeah. here. I, I am literally reading it off the page. I literally went to store.xamarin.com and I'm yeah. telling you the bullet yeah. points. Yeah. So enterprise gives you a lot more like uh, you can use, uh, like a, we give you access to hot fixes, same day SLA, technical kickoffs, all this jazz. Uh, if you're an enterprise, this is like amazing. You know who you are you if you need that stuff. Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
you know. So the, the question, so. I guess, actually, first one, I should throw one thing out there. If you if you were developing for iOS or Mac, um, even if you're working in Visual Studio, you still need a Mac, correct, to actually do the build? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. Uh, when it comes to <laughs> iOS development um, in general, so a Mac, you, you have to have yeah. a Mac. We don't have Visual Studio support for our Mac product. Um, so it's all in, in Xamarin Studio. Uh, the Visual Studio support is for iOS and Android. And uh, now you can open the same solutions in Xamarin Studio or Visual Studio, same projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but for iOS, Apple has a lot of restrictions. They only ship their SDK, their tooling, their you know, their uh, simulators only on the Mac. And in fact, in their EULA, when they say that you want to build a, an application, an iOS or Mac application, you have to do it um, on a physical Mac. Like it's in the EULA, it's in the terms of agreements right. when you sign up for the developer account. So what we do is we... Um, enable you to do all this from Visual Studio so even build up your application, uh, but you run a little, basically, build agent on your Mac called the Z- Xamarin iOS build host. And what that does is doing a remote compilation and debug session of packaging up your application over on a Mac. Now, this could be any Mac that's out yeah. there. It doesn't have to be the same Mac. Like, I demo a lot on my Mac uh, inside of VMware using Visual Studio, but I also have a dedicated just Samsung, uh, a TV9 uh, book or whatever it's called, uh, and then I just connect to a Mac on my network. And that Mac could be, I mean, in fact, all the Mac, all the iOS work I originally did was on an original MacBook Air with four gigs of RAM and a 1.6. Yeah, so it can processor. be, you, you can go get like something used or an inexpensive Mac to do this. Yeah, you just want to make sure that you can at least run that that Yosemite. You got to run that Yosemite and those El Capitans. Um, <laughs> you, you, know, you want to make sure that you can get those latest those latest mountain oh, uh, ranges out there. Me, um, and uh, did you also know? Like, I'm also a stand up comedian because uh, I, I present and during that. Uh, so so yeah, you just want to run something. I also usually recommend like a Mac Mini. Another you know, four or five hundred dollars. Even used ones are cheaper, and they can be sitting anywhere. You could put it in your closet and just remote desktop into yeah. it uh, if you want to, and just not even care about it under the sun. Or you can do all your development on it. It's up to you. Android, on the other hand, uh, Google's great because they ship their SDK, everything, and, and designers, all this stuff everywhere they want to go. Uh, so you can do that fully on a Mac or fully on a PC. Doesn't matter. There's no build host, anything like that. It just works. Yeah. So I I do run into objections with the with the pricing, and and me personally, I think it's I think it's ridiculous because um you know first yeah they have they have to buy a Mac and they're able to to utilize their existing C sharp talent. I mean I think companies really underestimate the the cost of having everybody relearn something like Objective C, um, and then also um the, even if you're writing in all these different languages you know, the cost of testing and, and things like that, you know, having to maintain three different code bases. Um, so to me that the, the cost seems, it seems reasonable to me, but I, you know, I was kind of wondering how you handle objections with the, with the pricing. Uh, well, what I say is like, well, if you have objections with the pricing contact sales, they'll, they'll try to work something out with you. Um, you know, I don't, uh, that's the thing is we have special offers for like startups and smaller businesses and yeah. And I'm not suggesting it should be cheaper. I, I, I'm just wondering if there's, if there's any way, if you have any, any short succinct ways that you are able to convince people that, that this is super valuable. Well, I say, you know, if you want to make, if you want to make application development, let's think about your core costs Mm -hmm. um, of just Xamarin. 
Because Xamarin itself, a lot of people say, well, I got to go buy a MacBook. I got to do this. I got to do that. You have to do that if you want to make an iOS app and Objective-C. So it's not a Xamarin cost. That's a mobile development cost. You got to buy devices. You got to buy a Mac. I'm sorry. You just got to. Um, Now, the Xamarin core price, like $25 a month, if you just want to build an Android app in C Sharp or 50 if you want to do both. I mean, that's pretty sweet spot. We we listen. You know, we didn't have the monthly um, subscription type for a while. And uh, we listen and we say, hey, you know, we want to make sure that we do this. We have open source uh, subscriptions. So if you have an open source project and you want to add Xamarin support to it, boom, we have something for you. You can get a complimentary subscription there. Students, we're trying to hook you up. Um, I mean, to me, when I came into mobile development, like I said, four years ago, that is the truth. My boss came in and said, two months, go. And I did it. And I did it because I already knew C Sharp. I already knew .NET. And I was able to build and have one code base. I found a bug somewhere. Boom, it's good to go. I fix yep. it on all three platforms. I add a new feature, add it once, tying up a little bit of UI. When it comes to testing, when it comes to all this stuff, like it's just amazing that you can do it all. And it just it all is just a beautiful native application. But tying all these great native features. So I think that's what's really important um, about Xamarin, why I fell in love with it four years ago and why I talk about it 120 times a year. You know what I mean? Like I just I can't get enough of it. You know, I can do a hundred hello world applications and it still blows my mind that I can do that all in C sharp. Yeah. And now with C sharp six, which is like super amazing, like I can immediately get access to all that stuff. Even before Visual Studio 2015 is even released in the public, like I can do C sharp six in an iOS application. <laughs> like that is mind blowing. No, like, there's, there's, there's just so much value cool there. You know. Okay. And I think, and I think if you're an objective C or Swift or a Java developer and you're like, Hey, you know, I've made this iOS application and maybe I don't want to learn Java or maybe I'm Java and I don't want to learn objective C or Swift. Um, C-sharp is a phenomenal. I think it is the best programming language available mm-hmm. today. That's personal opinion or, or truth. Uh, but I mean, F-sharp is great. You know, JavaScript is a language. You know, C, C++ is a language. But um, everything, every developer loves their own language. I really just fell in love with mm-hmm. C-sharp. I wrote a lot of Java. I wrote a lot of C, C++ in my, in my days. I used to make Xbox 360 games before I started writing printer software. Um, it's a good transition in life. Uh, it got me here, you know, you know, games for Xbox, woo, and then printer software. Uh, <laughs> That's what I've always wanted software. to do. <laughs> I think every, you know, I always like to say, I'll say, you know, you should have at least four years of enterprise printer development under your belt to put software developer on your LinkedIn page. Um, but think about like, well, I could just learn C sharp and I could actually then leverage over and do an Android and then a Windows application, a desktop application. You could share that code with an ASP.NET backend. Like there's, there's endless possibilities of shoving your C sharp.NET code. Even if you want to keep your iOS code in Objective C mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh, I just want to do an Android application now in the world of that's out there. And then I want to target Windows 10 that comes out. Boom. I have all this code that can just be brought that's over. Point, yeah. So I think that's what's very valuable today. That you know you don't have to be tied into saying I need to only learn Java or just Objective C uh, to go to another platform. I can go to C Sharp and then I can go to multiple platforms. Perfect, perfect. So. I know we're going a little long. Do you have a few more minutes to close out the show, James? Is that a... I, I can. Okay, I, can I just want to make sure we were in it. I'm, I'm here for you. Okay, perfect. I just want to make sure we weren't. weren't... Jason, I'm here okay. for you. All got. We could just go for hours. <laughs> well, we could do like a six-hour episode. I, I, I think. I think the topic's worth. It. <laughs> no, I actually, I, I'm, I'm actually glad we went over because this is, this is something I wanted to make sure we, we cover very well. Um, anything else that you wanted to mention before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, in general, um, there's amazing community around mm-hmm. Xamarin. And I talk a lot about Xamarin, but if it wasn't for the user groups, our group leaders, code camps, 
conferences, podcasts like this, um, the open source community that's been contributing so much. I mean, I thank them all the time in my talks. I'm highlighting things. I mean, and I'll say it again, like just thanks to our amazing community and just the amazing .NET C Sharp ecosystem that's out there. Um, I mean, this is where I am today. I went to a code camp. I learned some code. That's how I got started. Yeah. A lot of people ask me, where do you get started? And I said, you know, when I started with Xamarin, I went to developer.xamarin.com, built out a Hello World application through our tutorials. That's where I tell them to go today. I'm like, and people say, where did you start learning to code? I said, at a code camp, at a local user yeah. group. I just went out and learned because there's amazing people in the community, like you guys and like us, and but everyone else out there that's contributing to this amazing community, like you know, people, I'm like, it's always a great time to go into development, but even mobile development, it's like the, always the best time to be a developer because there's so much going on and just so many people passionate about it. Um, and just really, I mean, I can open it up and just say thank you to the entire community. That's so yeah, amazing. I think it's more energized. And thank ever. you guys. Yeah. I think that's Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Excellent. Okay. So let's move on to the Azure pick of the week. And mine's going to be pretty quick here. Uh, I just wanted to make everybody aware of the Azure Data Lake, which I think is a pretty cool feature in Azure. So this this isn't uh, it's not available yet, but you can be notified uh, for a public preview. But this service is for uh, storing basically an infinite amount of data. There's no limits on the file size. Um, I've heard that there's been files tested in here that are petabyte size, which is just insanely, insanely huge whenever you think about it. Um, and then, you know, the, the, so the files can be, you know, petabyte size or bigger. Um, and then you can have, you know, an unlimited number of files in there as well. And then this also works really cool for, um, high throughput scenarios. So like IOT. So if you're, you know, putting a whole bunch of data in there at a super high throughput, being able to read that data at that same throughput and, and scale out. And having an HDFS type interface for this, so you can use all the cool, um, you know, Hadoop type tools, or you know, all the tools that are in HD Insight. So this is a, I think this is going to be really cool. I keep watching this. I can't wait for this to go into public preview, so everybody can check it out. But um, you know, if it's something that might interest you, definitely check it out. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And Carl, what do we have for the app of the week? So the app of the week, I will get into why I picked it later, but it is uploaded to YouTube um, okay. by, by a guy named Brandon. Um, what this is, is it'll take any video that you've already recorded in your Windows Phone camera roll and upload it to YouTube, like the name says. Uh, it's really well done. Brandon's been a longtime member of the Windows Phone developer community. Um, the reason why I picked it, um, a few weeks ago, uh, Microsoft was cleaning up the store and they were trying to get of low quality apps. And somehow this one got swept along with it. Um, <laughs> he, he tried responding, getting him to ask why. Yeah. And they just said, it does not meet our requirements for uniqueness and blah, blah, blah. It was a very canned answer. And th they also said, this is the end of all communications. Bam, shut him out. <laughs> well, um, throughout, you know, he, he's got some friends in some high places. He also got, uh, mentioned in, um, uh, on neon.net and uh there's a lot of news going around he wasn't the only one there's a few other really good apps that somehow got swept up in this store cleanup and he's since got reinstated okay but i just i just want to give another word out for it because it is a really good app and it's been along for uh been around for a long time and he's been constantly upgrading it so if you have uh use youtube and have a windows phone check it out upload to youtube okay cool uh, let's see here. Okay, James, we have we have this game that we play on here. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's really easy to play. All you got to do is pick a number between one and four, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Three. Okay, here we go. Would you rather, and we might have added this question already, but that's okay. Would you rather live in a world with no chairs or no tables? We did have this one, didn't we, Carl? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's okay. doesn't matter. We got it. It's a new guest. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm going to say I would rather live in a world with uh, no chairs. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you why. Because right now, I was going to say, are you I'm standing? standing. Yeah. I am standing. Uh, I've converted my life to a standing desk. It's a sit-stand desk. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is it is just increased like me being happy and my posture and just my, my back. Uh, I could stand all day. It's kind of the natural, kind of how humans just... Or feel yeah. natural. It feels good to stand. I'm on a stage all the time. I'm, I can code standing. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I could go without chairs. Okay. I mean, it might be a little bit hard to now. I guess I could still ride a bike because that's not like a yeah. That's not a chair. That's a seat. Yeah. Seat post. It's not a chair. It's a seat. <laughs> Maybe hey, there's no riding print, in an but airplane. I think we can make up the rules here. I'm, I'm trying to think like a bus. That seems okay. A subway. That seems okay. Now an airplane might be a little tricky. Yeah, besides sir, that, sir, besides, I need you to sit down. There's no seats. You, you <laughs> buckle no into the, you buckle into the wall, right? <laughs> yeah. they, they, they buckle you in kind of like one of those those a fair like Ferris wheel. Things. No, they just jam you in so tight, and there's just poles like on the subway. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Okay, Carl, between one and four, I'll take two. Two. Would you rather have ten working tongues? <laughs> what the heck is this? Would you rather have ten working tongues on your hands instead of your fingers, or have toes on your hands instead of your fingers? I don't. I, I don't think I'd want to taste everything I touch, so I'd have to go with toes for fingers. <laughs> oh, who made these questions? Ten working tongues on your hands. What kind of sick? Okay, uh, <laughs> you wrote these, didn't you, Jason? Yeah, yeah. I just, I just make these up on the spot. By the way, oh, okay. <laughs> so, James, where can people find you? Where it looks like Carl has like ten different links here in the show notes, but where, where should people go if they want to learn more about Xamarin or and or you? Yes, yeah, sir. So, I mean, to learn about Xamarin, you go to Xamarin.com uh, and you'll find uh, links on the top under products uh, to the platform, Xamarin Forms, University, Insights, um, Task Cloud, the whole the whole yep. bit and everything like that to download and start your free 30-day trial um, in Xamarin Studio or Visual Studio. Um, I write a lot. And when you go to developer.xamarin.com, you'll find all the documentation. Our docs team is amazing. But we have a blog, blog.xamarin.com, and we have great, just amazing content there every single time. Um, I'm active on the forums. Personally, you can find me uh, on Twitter is the best way to find me. It's at James Montemagno. I just made it nice, short, and sweet for everyone to contact me. Use all 15 characters. <laughs> uh, so you only have 125 to, to you, 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 Yeah, your uh, humor, I love it because you keep throwing me off, you know, because you were like, yo, smite or whatever, however you pronounce it. And I'm like, yeah, does, does no? And then, and then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, uh, so, so that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. You can email me James at Nice, short yep. and sweet. That's a little yep. bit better. Uh, but then I also have a personal blog, um, which is, uh, MOTZ dot codes or Mott's codes. Uh, you can get there in a different way. Uh, I have a fancy dot ES. Okay. So MOTZ COD dot ES. Uh, cause you can codes, you can lives, you can loves, you can bikes, you can yep. rights. Um, yep. Uh, <laughs> I can't. So I bought those domain names, and GoDaddy used to let me register them for fifteen dollars a year, which is a mm-hmm. sweet deal. But now they have some like new process that you actually have to live in Spain to get a .es. Ooh. So I can't register any more new ones, but I can just keep renewing, which is fine. But then there's a new TDL, which is .codes. Oh, and really? I recommend everyone, everyone in the world, go and find a great domain name that is .codes. I, I just purchased one yesterday. Hell, oh, that's funny. Nice. What did you get? WPDev.codes. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. See, it's perfect. I have MOTZ. Mots is my my nickname. So a lot of people just call me James. A lot of my friends or anyone can call me Mots. It's just an abbreviation of my last name. So Mots, M-O-T-Z dot codes. And it'll redirect you to the correct okay. uh, 
thing. But then from there, you can find all my links on the top right. But I blog there all the time about things that I'm doing, things that maybe just don't get on the Xamarin blog. Or if you ask me questions or I find an interesting forum post, I'll put the problem and solution there. Uh, and then my GitHub is slash James Montemagno. If you just search for James Montemagno, you'll find me. My dad has the same name, but he hides from the internet. Say, he, like he doesn't do as internet. much with Xamarin. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, exactly. He doesn't. No, he does uh, stainless steel fabrication. Okay. So, well, if you're looking for that, yeah. then search for that plus his name. Yes, you can find it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, can, you can find that. That was my, that's our family, uh, our family background. And I said, I'm like, man, I love stainless steel. I'll go write some code. Um, so I did that. But back in Cleveland, where I'm originally from, that's uh, that's the family business, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's something that I don't, I'd love to learn more about, just like how it all works. They do a lot of heat treatment and stuff that I don't, I can't comprehend. It's all science. It's like the polar opposite of what um, we do. It's yeah, real. it's really cool. But yeah, if you, yeah, it's real. <laughs> it's real things. Well, we create, we still create real things. Like my, my parents go, what do you do? And I was like, you know that phone you have? And they're like, you made the phone? Like, no, I didn't make the phone. But I'm like, so you press one of those icons. I did that. They're like, you made, you made FaceTime? No, I didn't make FaceTime, but I made <laughs> the one next that to app that finds you coffee. Yeah, the one that finds you coffee. Um, so if you find me on GitHub, it's GitHub, github.com slash James Montemagno. I know you referenced it before. It's just, I just put everything on there. I just love GitHub. It's just that's amazing. Awesome. Um, so I put everything oh, on job. there. So that's where you can find me. It's like a thousand links, which is why Carl has a thousand links for where you can find me. Uh, but that's very me. cool. Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at YTechie.com or you can find me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. James, thanks again so much for coming on the show. And anytime you want to come on, I feel like we could fill like 10 different episodes with the, the knowledge in your head. So thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is a blast. I'll come on as many times as you want. I'm here for you guys. I'm here for everybody. That sounds great. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 